This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Church in Montgomery in Colmar, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, if you have a Bible, uh, I'm going to invite you to open it to the book of Galatians. Uh, If you don't have a Bible of your own, there should be a a blue hardcover copy kind of tucked in the chair, maybe in front of you. Uh, If you're using one of those, it's page 823. So... We're here on purpose. Now, if, I know on a weekend like this, there's also people who aren't here on purpose. Okay, it, it's, a, it's kind of a beautiful weekend, a holiday weekend. But as a church, as, as people who come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, we're here on purpose. We're here because Jesus ordered it. He gave a mission to be fulfilled. The Gospels end with Jesus giving that mission, that commission to the, his followers. The book of Acts begins with him repeating that mission to his followers. And then, of course, we've spent some weeks now studying the book of Acts. And When we look at that historical account of how the church started, one of the things you can't help but notice is you see um, these apostles, those disciples like Peter and Paul and others, and they were so active. They were so uh, intentional, focused, driven. They were bold. They were courageous. Um, they, they weren't perfect, but, but, but boy, were they working hard to make a difference. But not only were they traveling and preaching, they also wrote. They wrote letters. Uh, a letter from this time period is called an epistle, uh, but that's just a fancy word for a letter. Sometimes we'll call these books of the Bible, the book of Galatians, but that's kind of misleading. It's, they were really intended as letters, these epistles. Letters from people like Paul to those that, who he led to the Lord, to, to churches and groups of people that he had, he had started, and now he, he writes back to them. And so much of the New Testament is made up of these letters from Peter and Paul and John to the believers, groups of believers just like us. It's really easy for us to think that all of that uh, traveling and preaching and discipling, like all of that can feel very uh, impactful. It's important for us to remember that the letters that these men wrote to us are every bit as influential as any of the other activities that they, took, that they were involved in. In fact, perhaps more so, Because even today, we can open the Bible and read Paul's letter to the believers in Galatia. Now, um, Galatians, this letter to the Galatians, is probably one of the very earliest letters that any of the apostles wrote. In fact, I think it's probably most likely that Paul wrote it right after that first missionary journey. Uh, Remember, we were in Acts 13, 14, and he was traveling. Now, you don't remember what happened in Acts 13, 14. I realize that. But you remember when, when a group of people stoned him and drug him outside of the city and they left and they thought he was dead? Remember? And it was that awkward time when the disciples are standing around him and then he gets up and he goes back. You know, that, that, okay, well, that's, that's, this is the area we're talking about. Galatia, this, this central Asia area, uh, Galatia, Gaul, it was the area that was originally uh, settled by Gauls uh, or, or uh the Celts, in a sense, when they came over to that part of, of Asia Minor and they settled in that area. A bunch of 
Celtic people, Celtic background, sort of. And so Paul had evangelized them. And uh, after the, the rest of that first missionary journey, then he and Barnabas went back to Jerusalem, remember, kind of reporting in. And while they were there or on their way to Jerusalem, they got this disturbing report. How did people find out about things before Facebook? I don't remember, all right? <laughs> but, uh, but they got this report that as soon as Paul and Barnabas left that Galatian area and those churches, that a bunch of other, uh, and scholars call them Judaizers, but basically Jewish believers kind of infiltrated the churches and began right away to say, um, Paul and Barnabas had it right, sort of, but not completely. They left something out. And they began to countermand and, and teach against what Paul and Barnabas had been teaching. So Paul and Barnabas, as, as soon as Paul gets this report, you can imagine how upsetting this is. You know, you, you imagine you send your child away to camp and uh, you get the report the first day there that some bully has been picking on him. And you'd be like, ah, oh, you, you just, it, there's this kind of parental care that, that kind of courses through Galatians. Galatians is packed with emotion. So Paul's going to write this quick letter to say, guys, guys, don't fall for this. Don't buy in. And then he's going to try to correct them and give them some insight. So that's the whole book of Galatians. We're going to cover the whole book today. We're going to cover every single thing it says. No, not even close. Uh, but I do hope that you'll kind of get the sense of, as a follow-up over the next few weeks, as we look at some of the letters that, the apostle, that Paul wrote to these same places where he had planted churches, that you, that you remember that while in Acts they're moving and they're planting churches, sharing the gospel, discipling believers, sometimes even a couple years at a time, but the work wasn't done when they left. There was this ongoing work of strengthening and teaching and training and, yes, even correcting. So what was so upsetting about Galatians? Simply this, that a bunch of... Uh, Jewish believers were coming in and they were kind of uh, bringing a message that was different from what Paul had shared. Different how? Well, as Jewish believers, they weren't, what they weren't saying, they weren't telling people, oh no, don't believe in Jesus. It wasn't an anti-Christian message. It wasn't anti-Jesus. Instead, it was Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus something else. For them, the plus was obeying the Old Testament Judaistic laws, especially the Pharisaical kind of interpretation, the Pharisees' interpretation of the Old Testament law. So in a sense, what they're saying is, hey, Jesus is a really cool addition to the way that we have been raised. We're going to add him in. But don't stop obeying all the laws that Moses laid down. Their message to these believers were, believe in Jesus and you have to obey all the Old Testament laws, just like Judaism always taught. Let's start reading in Galatians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 6. Again, page 823, I think, if you're using a borrowed Bible. Paul writes this, and you can hear the emotion. He says, I am astonished that you so quickly are deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and that you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. His point there is, gospel means good news. This message is not good news at all. He goes on. 
Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that was preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what, we, than what you accepted, let him be under God's curse. Would you say that Paul thinks this is a big issue or a small issue? There aren't that many places where God, God is called to curse someone. But in this instance, this is one of them. Someone adding to the message that Paul shared with them, adding other requirements, is deserving of God's curse. It's a big deal. Now these Judaizers, again, they weren't saying, don't believe in Jesus. They're saying, believe in Jesus and obey the law. So we're a bunch of real, we're all Gentiles here. Okay? We don't have a clue much about the law thing. We don't understand what went on. So maybe we should just ask the question, what's the big deal? I mean, believe in Jesus and obey the law. Are, are we saying that Christians aren't supposed to obey the law? Why, why the big deal? Why is Paul, he's not just reacting. He's going ballistic. He's losing it. Why is it a problem? Sometimes uh, the book of Galatians has been called the, the Declaration of Independence for Christians. The Magna Carta. It, its theme is one of freedom. And over against that, here are people saying, oh, to be acceptable to God, you've got to obey all these rules. So we should probably clear up a few things. Rules are not bad. Okay, Rules aren't bad. Now, I attended a Bible college. I worked at a Bible college. Every time you made a rule at a Bible college, you were accused of being legalistic. Okay, Do you, have, do you know people like that? As soon as you make some kind of a rule or a guideline, you get, oh, you're being all legalistic. Yeah, rules are not legalistic. Not all by themselves. In fact, some rules are really, really good. For instance, you might say to yourself, I am not going to keep growing as a Christian if I don't get into God's word every day. I'm making this a rule for myself. I'm going to get into God's word every day. Nothing legalistic about that, folks. That's a good rule to have. I've got to pray every day. I'm going to look for a chance to share the gospel. Maybe, I don't know, just out of the top of my head, five people in my life. See, that's not legalism, folks. Rules don't equal legalism. And freedom doesn't mean getting to do whatever you want. Now, the last time you talked to a teenager that, you, that had your DNA, right? I mean, uh, how many times have we had to say... Uh, um, freedom doesn't mean, even in our country, freedom doesn't mean getting to do or say anything you want. That's not freedom. It's funny how people can so quickly uh, paint things with a broad brush, lack understanding. Imagine a, a country that was actually free, where every single individual was free to do anything they wanted. No one would want to live in that country. So, what these Judaizers were saying was that in order for a, a person to have a right standing with God, you might start with faith in Christ, but then to maintain that standing or to continue to grow in that, that relationship, you need to keep obeying the laws. 
Now, there are faiths, even prominent faiths in our country today, in the world today, that sort of teach the same idea, that God's grace will get you started, and then after that, you just have to keep doing work. And let's be honest, that makes sense to us. It's absolutely natural. We're going to talk about that in a minute. See, what, what Paul is saying is that uh, these guys, they want you to believe in Jesus, but then also uh, make sure you observe especially. They were really hung up on circumcision and, and, and food restrictions, who you ate with and what you ate and when. And so much of this has to do with the way they were raised. They were raised with all of that. In fact, part of the offense of Christ was that Jews felt like none of that, all of that had no value now. It just was going away because Jesus took care of our sin, and so now all of it went away. And so there was a reaction. See, people react all the time about when they feel like their heritage, their background, their, their experience is being discredited and tossed away. So in a sense, the title today was God Helps Those. You could finish that, right? God Helps Those Who Helps Themselves. How many people do we know that really think the Bible says that? So there, there are problems with this message because, you see, it seems to say, hey, God will get you started, but then you better keep up the good work or you're out. There are problems with this message, Paul says. He says, first of all, the first problem, and now I'm kind of summarizing the rest of chapter 1, a little bit of chapter 2. He basically says the first problem with this is that the law never saved anybody to begin with. Later in the book, he says, you guys still can't follow that law. The law never could save anyone. Secondly, when we start kind of having to produce and perform, doing certain things to keep ourselves saved, to keep ourselves in in, in a good standing with God, we put ourselves back in the contributor's seat. Contributors. Those who are putting in something of value. If you are a contributor, then it's easy to think that you have a say. Hey, I made an investment. I should have a say. And the whole point of the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for our sins was that there was nothing that we could contribute. He gave it all. All we can do is receive. And the biggest problem with this message that Paul's going to address is that it undermines the sufficiency of what Jesus did on the cross. If anyone has to do something additional, then what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. Let's think about that. If you're here today and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you did that not because you just needed a leg up, not just because you needed a little bump, a little help, but you came to understand that the very best works, the very best you could do were like filthy rags to God. And that only Jesus' death and atoning for our sin could take care of our sin problem. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. That's the essence of the gospel. Let me ask you something. Is there something about Jesus' death on the cross that was inadequate. 
What wasn't it enough for? Many of you who've trusted Christ, you say, nothing, it's completely adequate. That's all we need. <laughs> Good. But listening to these Judaizers, many of the believers in Galatians were getting a little confused. By the time we're done this morning, you may come to realize, like I did, that sometimes I still get a little confused. So Paul goes on, he talks a little bit about his credentials, and we see that a lot in his writing. He's trying to understand, you guys understand, this is who's talking to you, okay? I was the one, and this is what happened. So he kind of goes through some of his history up through the beginning of chapter 2. And starting in verse 14, if you want to flip forward to Galatians 2.14, we'll keep reading there. He's talking about when he interacted with some of the other apostles, and he says, and when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that's Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. Here's, here's the background. Remember, we, we talked about this in, in our study of Acts. Paul arrived. A Peter was living amongst Gentiles who'd come to faith, and those Gentiles were not observing food restrictions like the Jews did. Peter had come to understand, because of his vision and Cornelius' home, that those divisions didn't matter, that these Gentiles could come to faith just like Jews. And so he was living and not obeying, not, not following all those food requirements until a little delegation from the home church come. Okay. Suddenly, Peter's wearing a suit to church again. Okay. Suddenly, there's no beers in his fridge. Suddenly, there's like, and all of a sudden, he starts watching all those little things. And so Paul confronts him and he goes, wait, wait a minute, wait. you're being a hypocrite, Peter. If these things don't add to your salvation, then you should stop acting like somehow they do. And so there's this confrontation. Verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul has to correct Peter. Even Barnabas got caught up in this. How could people that are so well taught, even teachers themselves, how could they get caught up in this kind of temptation to get all kind of legalistic again? And when I say legalistic, I mean trying to pretend that we are better or we're more accepted by God by our behavior. How, how does this happen? Paul's saying, you guys know that's not the case. Why do you act a different way? We're going to address that in a minute. I, I think that Peter and Barnabas and others that did got, they, they got caught up in this, I, I think they meant well. Right? Just like you, you probably want to encourage other believers, not discourage them. And if suddenly you were in a circumstance and you weren't sure what the right thing to do is, you're scrambling to think, oh, how should I react? What should I say? What should I do? And, and, and with them in mind, you, you, might, you might set up standards for yourself, your own behavior, thinking that you're being loving toward them. You are. And, and yet, from another point of view, someone might misunderstand. Wait, 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 wait. So it's not enough to believe in Jesus. We have to believe in Jesus and listen to that radio station? Or and dress this way? Or and never go to that thing? We'll talk about that more in a minute. But 
at this point in Galatians, right in chapter 2, Paul tries to explain for a minute how you and I, how every believer, can balance this issue of, I want to live in such a way that I don't cause other people to stumble. I want to live in a way that, that brings glory to Jesus. And I really want to try hard to make sure I do that. And yet, how can I make sure that trying hard to do the right thing doesn't become works? How can I be sure that I'm not going beyond what Jesus did on the cross? even as I try to live for Christ. And the answer to that is summed up in a verse in chapter 2 here. We're going to start reading in verse 19, but we're looking at verse 20, Galatians 2.20. For, for, for through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. There's a premise that we don't have time to develop today, but the idea is simple. The law's purpose was to condemn. The law's purpose was to show that we're sinners. And when it does its job we are, we are sunk. We're, we're as good as dead men, dead women. The law convicts. What he's saying is, the law did its job. It showed me that I'm a sinner. And because I knew I was a sinner then, I was in need of redemption. And he goes on, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. There's the truth. That when a person has put their faith in Christ, Christ's life is attributed and imputed to us. He is alive in us. But does that mean that now everything we do is what Jesus would do? Not necessarily. He goes on. Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When I live, Paul says, Christ is living in me. Now I seek to live as though Christ were expressing himself through me. And so if Jesus would be generous, I want to be generous. Sometimes when we help people with love and action, our benevolent ministry, often people will say, Boy, thank you. First they think, I did it. Uh, well, no, no, this is my, the whole church. We do this. Oh, well, thank your whole church. What, you guys are such good people. Uh, actually, we're not. <laughs> we're not good people. Let me tell you why we try to do these good things. We're not earning God's favor. This is the kind of way Jesus acted toward us. What, what you're seeing is him working, doing the same thing for you that he did for us. Being faithful. Being gracious. What you see is really Jesus working through us, not me. If I were going to do it, I'd probably do it differently. If you've never, or if it's been a while since you memorized a passage, could I suggest that Galatians 2.20 is a, is a verse worth memorizing? I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, that's the version I learned it in. But Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What I'm doing now, I hope pleases Jesus. But what Paul's saying is, you need to understand, if what I'm doing now pleases Jesus, it's not because I'm getting better, it's because he's showing through. 
Some of you even nodded or went, "Mm mm-hmm. So I just want to be careful here. If I'm getting better, and what you see me do is really what it seems like Jesus would do, it's not because I'm getting better, it's because Jesus is showing through. Honestly, folks, wouldn't we often rather it be said that we're getting better? Isn't that the goal? Subconsciously, isn't that what we're working toward? Want to be a better Christian? And so Paul, what Paul's saying is, even in that desire is the seed for the danger of this mistake. Mike, you won't get better. I'll just show through more. Right, right. And, then, then, and that's got to make me better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike, you might show up less. That's going to look good to everybody. <laughs> but you're not getting better. I'm showing through more. If we're honest, sometimes we just wish we could just get a little better. And it feels like such a good thing to want, doesn't it? And so here's the danger of adding other externals because somehow what Jesus did on the cross isn't enough to make me the Christian I should be. And so I need other things to help sanctify me. Well, in Galatians 3, he, he, he kind of tears into their thinking. He's saying, think about this, you guys. Come on. Does this make sense? Verse 19, 319. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before the, your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Remember, they received the, the, the Spirit of God. That salvific experience, he says, well, when did that happen to you? Did it happen when you were doing good things? Or did it happen when you believed? Huh. Truth is, as I was chugging along doing good things, it just seemed like I needed to be doing more good things, and more good things, and more good things. That's the law. This never-ending, never-relinquishing requirement. Never good enough. It's when I believed. And so he kind of builds it through three to six, this idea that it's never been by works, it's always been by faith. It's not that it's anti-Jewish, he's trying to say, guys, I'm not against eating certain ways, eating the way you grew up, drinking the way you grew up, hanging out with the people that you like, that's not the problem. It's not anti-Jewishness, but it is anti-do-it-yourselfness. In 3.12, he says, the law isn't based on faith. They're almost, they're like opposites. You're either going to try or you're going to trust. But as soon as you start trying, don't misunderstand. Wanting to live for Christ is a good thing. Trying to live for Christ can be a good thing. But it only is going to work as we let Christ live through you. Otherwise, trying becomes the antithesis of trust. Galatians 4.4, flip a page over. As he's trying to set this up, he says, see, the law was kind of like a babysitter, you guys. It was kind of pointing out what we needed until 
Christ came. And when Christ came, the answer was provided. Verse 4, Galatians 4.4. 4. It's a passage, again, a classic verse from Galatians. He says, but when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, and the spirit calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, he has made you his heir. I want you to understand the counterintuitive flow of grace. So that you and I can recognize when this this insidious message of, of work is, starts to creep back in. Grace is counterintuitive. It doesn't start because we're good people. It doesn't start because we're better than average. It starts because we are sinners. Better or worse than someone else? When you're a sinner, no one's counting. And the counterintuitive flow of grace is this. First you were dead. And as soon as you were dead and you knew that you had no hope, then you were ready to receive the gift that only Jesus gives. He does not save people who don't need to be saved. Ah, I don't have any other hope. there's been times when I've been trying to share the gospel with people, and sometimes when I feel like we're kind of stuck, I'll say, tell me, I mean, what what gives you hope for eternal life someday, somewhere? Well, uh, and they don't have to say anything. I know we're not there yet. (laughs) I'm interested. What what else might help? You see, the gospel doesn't penetrate until we don't have anything to say there. What, What are you putting your hope in? I got nothing. Good answer. Because you have nothing, now you're in a position to understand that Jesus paid it all. He gives it as a gift. Are you kidding me? Would I kid you? No. What would stop you from receiving Jesus as your Savior? Nothing. Do that now. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died for me, and I'm accepting you as my Savior. Good for you. Now you have eternal life. But it doesn't stop there. Guess what? When he gives eternal life, he puts his spirit in you. Oh, well, that's probably good. Good? No, it's better than good. His spirit is in you. That makes you his child. I, 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 I never, uh, never asked to be adopted, but really? He adopted me. Yes, he actually made you part of his family. And guess what? Since you're part of his family, you're an heir. I, I don't know how many movies there are with this theme, right? Where someone who is deserving but poor, discovers this connection. And we cheer for them. We say, that's how it should be. Nobody wants to see a movie where the scoundrel gets that. And yet that's the story of of grace. The scoundrel got the inheritance. Wow, but the scoundrel is being changed. I do that because I, I became aware lately that actually you can hear that on Facebook too, can't you? Yeah. So we're back in the wind tunnel. It's okay. Well, let's finish this up. So the million dollar question here, 
is why in the world would someone who is already... See, Paul's writing to people who have already put their trust in Christ. I don't think it's, they're in danger of not trusting Jesus. I believe they've already trusted Christ. And yet, now he's saying, you're in danger. What are they in danger of? Why would someone who had put their faith in Jesus go back to working to keep it? Why would that happen? Let's cover Galatians 5 quickly. Starting verse 1. Paul writes, It is for freedom that Christ set you free. This is our declaration of independence. It was Christ's intention for us to experience freedom. But we should define freedom. It's freedom from something and freedom to something. Not freedom to do whatever you want. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean I am free from ever having to obey Him again. Freedom in Christ does not mean I am free to act on any whim, any thought, any passing, whatever. That's not freedom. In fact, giving in to those impulses just simply takes you right back to slavery. Anyone who's ever experienced the the power of addiction understands that giving something free reign means you've given up free reign. Only God's law brings freedom. What an oxymoron. That God's rules bring freedom. So you're not free to ignore God, but you are free from something. What are you free from? Verse 1. It's for, for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What kind of slavery? Well, he kind of describes it a little bit in the next verse. Mark my words, he says. I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, which personally I wasn't tempted at all, but um, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Verse 4, you are trying to be justified by the law. You've been alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. (gasps) You're going to hell. No, I don't think so. That's not what I think he's saying. I mean, if you are already a believer, I think what he's saying, and again, he's talking about circumcision because circumcision and food restrictions, those were the issues for the Jews. We could talk for hours about what our issues might be in our culture. But what he's saying is, as soon as you try to have a better standing with God because of your actions on these things, you have just cut yourself off from the very power that was sanctifying you. Christ is in you and working through you until you tell him, let's see, how did Archie Bunker say it? Stifle. And when you start doing it on your own, the Spirit of God says, okay, if that's how you want it, then I'm I'm not helping. It is one or the other. Have you ever offered somebody somebody asks for your help, maybe, and you go to help, and then you try to help, and they won't listen to a thing you say? Why am I here? Moral support. (laughs) I just don't know what to do. What should I do? I'm not doing that. All right? What he's saying is that as soon as you and I start, and I, I think this can happen to believers, We started out trusting in Christ, but now we're doing pretty good. I think we got it from here. 
I'm going to suggest that the longer that you're a believer, the easier it is to fall into this. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do. I mean, you, after a while, you build a lifestyle and, and you kind of got a habit of little rules and regulations and things you just don't do. And before you know it, you don't need Jesus at all. You're just living like a Christian. Automatic. And here's the irony. We're tempted to think that's a wonderful thing. I guess it would be, except for the fact that Jesus left the room years ago. Oh, but when someone doesn't do behaviors that are, are, are questionable or wrong, but even as they don't do them, they're painfully aware on the inside, man, but you know what? This is still a temptation. Or this isn't a temptation at all. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know where that came from. There is still goes all the way back to the cross. We are free from something, and that's to have to work to have God's favor. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, we eagerly await by, right, by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Why would a believer start going back to a bunch of rules and trying to impress God? I think part of the, part of the reason is hidden in here. Because at some point, our faith gets weak. Early on, we felt different. We saw change. Things were happening. But now you've been maintaining the same little kind of life and, you know, you don't break any of the rules. And, and so I guess I'm okay. And, and before you know it, are you at work? Are you changing me? Are you still showing up? And our faith gets weak. We're not sure. Uh, am I still in this thing or not? Uh, so now we're looking for some reassurance. And we wish that we had some proof. See, we need just a little proof. Maybe, maybe if I could do something good that would really be costly to me, then I could, then, and before you know it, here we are proving to ourselves and to others that we're, we're good to go. We're good to go. Why? Because I can't look to Jesus on the cross to make me feel that way. I, 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 I somehow, he, I, he's not affecting my feelings anymore. And we forget that faith in his word means faith in his word, not our feelings. If only we could bring something of value. You know, Jesus is doing all this good work, and before you know it, we want to bring our circumcision or uncircumcision. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> right? So, boy, isn't this great? Isn't, don't we have a great church? Look how people sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. Really? How about the way Jesus sacrificed? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, that too. I mean, yeah, that too. Before you know it, we need this reassurance that we're okay, and we start to try to manufacture that on our own. And Paul says, when you do that, you've alienated yourself from the power of Christ. You have fallen from grace. You're not going to hell, but it'll feel like you're going to hell until you get back to the cross. Freedom from having to get his approval. Verse 6, halfway through, he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Wow. There's a great life verse. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If you and I do something good, let's make sure that it is faith expressing itself through that. Not our good nature, not our changed outlook, not our better attitude, not our go get them kind of spirit. Boy, boy, isn't she great? No. 
isn't Jesus great? And what's going to happen? We're going to say, oh, come on. I mean, I know. I know that. That's what I meant. Then say that. I love the way Jesus works through you. I love the way you let him kind of bubble right out. Every time I see him in you, I remember how much I love him. Verse 7, he says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? What This kind of person, the kind of person, or th- that kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. Boy, as soon as you just start hearing those, those condemning words in your mind, <laughs> conviction is one thing. Hey, that was wrong. It was. You are such a louse. That's not conviction. <laughs> That's the enemy. What kind of persuasion? It doesn't come from the one who called you. Jesus is saying, come on, walk with me. Do better. Freedom from having to please him and freedom to. Verse 13. My brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the whole law is summed up in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 16. So, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh des- desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We've talked about this before. We've talked about the not-not walk. But in this argument, what he's, what he's saying here is, you can either try your best to live for Jesus without his help, or you could just take each step with the Spirit. Now, some of you are, pragma, you're real pragmatics, and you're, and you're thinking, okay, what does that really look like in real life? Like, well, Jesus, do you want me to get up today? I'm waiting. You want me to go to work today? Should I wear socks today, Lord? That's not the problem, is it? But when I go to react, when I go to respond, hmm, I'm mad. Does the Spirit of God get mad at stuff like this? No. In fact, Jesus, you're not mad. Are you? Why? So why am I mad? You're not mad. Okay, Spirit, what would you do? Well, you can start by keeping your mouth shut, Mike. Oh, that's a novel concept. Okay, never tried that before. Let me try that. Following that prodding from the Spirit. We don't have time to unpack that. That's the entire spiritual life. And lastly, chapter 6, which is in your notes because I knew we'd be out of time by now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I knew. But as Paul's starting to talk about what it means to walk in the Spirit, to let God do that work, just listen. Whatever, whatever hits you next, whether it's a, 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 a server at lunch who who's not really all that good at it, or, or whatever happens, listen to the conversation that goes on between you. Remember? Spirit, my flesh. Listen to the talk and do what the Spirit says. Mike, it's not that simple. <laughs> I never said it was simple, but have you tried it? Stop long enough to identify what is it the Spirit would say. What does God's Word say? What, what's the convicting? We all have all kinds of thoughts boiling around. What's the one that sounds like the Spirit? 
Ah, and before we know it, we kind of know what we should do. <laughs> we just feel bad because we really just still don't want to do it. Jesus, I now know what to do, and I still don't want to do it. I really need your help. I need you to keep saving me, keep changing me. And we're right back to the cross. When he gets into six, oddly enough, what Paul gives then, I, what I'm calling these, these are rules for freedom. Oxymoron, right? Rules for freedom. These are things that are true in the life of the Christian that you and I should keep in mind. Nobody's an island. You don't get to just float in, float out, but live your own Christian life all by yourself. He says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to know one another well enough to get in each other's lives, to know when something's not right. And so, for those of you who who come on a Sunday morning and you like it, but then, then you just float back out, all I would say is, we want you to be a part of the life here. Or check yourself. You think you're something? You're not. Well, I don't think they really appreciate me there. I didn't know there was much to appreciate. Oh, but I don't want to say that. But we can say that about ourselves. This isn't worm theology. Just being honest here. I can take the best of things and make it all about me. I'm really good at that. Check yourself. Number three. Wherever you're receiving a spiritual benefit, you probably owe a spiritual debt. And so verse 6 talks about that. Reaping what you sow. <laughs> Everyone's surprised when they reap what they sow. I'm so amazed. I don't understand why this is happening to us. Oh, this is what you've been sowing all this time. God almost never makes exceptions to that, good or bad. And by the way, um, number four, you also tend to reap more than what you sow, good or bad. And you can read through the rest. Weariness is normal. It's normal to get tired trying to serve the Lord. But what gives us energy is to know that there is hope at the end. There's a harvest at the end. There's a goal at the end. And seizing the opportunity, which probably starts right here, right now. Forget reaching the lost in sub-Saharan Africa. Are you loving on the person that you sit next to in church? Have you reached out to someone that you see every day? Have you started there? So, in closing, the gospel is unique in the world. It's that one message of grace. It doesn't exist anywhere else. We should share that. Grace means that we don't earn, can't earn, we are given as a gift a right standing with God through faith. Resist the temptation to doubt that it's still changing you. Instead, respond to others according to the Spirit. But I guess I want to close just by asking this. Do you feel free? It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Do you feel free? I'm being honest. There are some days when I do not. I feel frustrated or disappointed or bound up or limited. I fail people. They fail me. What I thought was going to happen doesn't happen. I never thought that would happen and it happened. Do you feel free or do you feel all bound up in that? Christ set us free so that we could experience freedom. 
What does freedom look like for you? Okay, so some of you may be 10 years from retirement, but your bank account's about 40 years from retirement. That's a concern because nobody wants to try to live with their kids. Okay? And yet that can bind you or you can stop and let the gospel inform that. Lord, first of all, you know how well I have or haven't managed. And you know, that, but, but you've always had a plan for me. You've got a plan. Can I trust you for a plan? Boy, I've messed up. Boy, I shouldn't have spoken out at work the way I did. I kind of lost my temper. I lost my testimony. Now what? And yet, you know what? The whole point of the gospel is that God forgives sinners, of which I am one. I can go to work and say, I, what, what a goofball I was. I am so sorry I lost it. God's got a lot of work to do. What is it? How does the gospel, how can the gospel give you freedom? Because that's exactly what he wants for you today, including freedom from this message. So let's pray. So just for those of you who are believers, could you just stop for a second? In your spirit, search for freedom. I don't even know what, for you, what freedom is. Freedom from what? Freedom to what? Christ sets you free for freedom. A sense of joy and hope in the future. A confidence that he is at work and he will keep doing what only he can do. That you can trust him even your failures won't stop him. What is it that gives you that feeling of freedom? What is that hope? Thank him for that today. So Lord Jesus, so often I'm tempted to think that you purchased a ticket to heaven for me and now you expect me to live up to that expectation, to live up to who I'm supposed to be. And the truth is, although that, that would make perfect sense, I, I can't even pull that off. I stumble and fumble and fail. And the, the thing that saved me in the first place is still the only thing that will save me. It's coming back to the cross and experiencing your grace. We're so easily tempted into adding other things so we can feel better about ourselves. So would you help us to find the freedom for which you saved us? Freedom from worry, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from the impact of failure because yes, we will keep failing, but you can minimize, you can encourage, you can enable us, you can work despite our failures. This whole thing is about you. So bring us back into the light. Bring us back into freedom. Help us to be filled with joy because of what you've done for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.